Let's turn to Hebrew 12, verse 28, 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Um, mine was pretty uneventful, um, but I think in a lot of ways, uneventful means good, right? <laughs> um, so grateful for that, and it was just a, a good time to be able to spend with my family, and I hope uh, you were able to have some type of uh, time this past week to kind of push the pause button on life and just appreciate um, where you're at and even the hard stuff in your life and uh, know that all that is for for the good of those who are called um, in Christ and his love. So um, one of the things that that I was thinking about this week was, you know, Thanksgiving and and being thankful uh, for church. Um, as some of you may not know, um, I'm somewhat new uh, here at San Jose New Hope. Um, I was the youth pastor years ago, and then I came back uh, about 12 years later, and that just happened um, this past June or so. So um, one of the things that I'm very thankful for is, is our church. And when I say our church, I don't necessarily mean uh, the building. I don't necessarily even mean um, the the idea of church. Um, I actually am thankful for each one of you who makes up New Hope Church and uh, what you bring in your own gifts and your own talents and in your own identity uh, in Christ. And so, <clears throat> um, as we kind of go through our series, um, if you're joining us midstream, um, our series is titled Portrait of the Missional Family. And uh, missional family is just another name, a more detailed description of church, the missional family. And I'm very grateful for our particular missional family. Um, and uh, it's just so great to, to see all of you guys this sermon series that we're going through, Portrait of a Missional Family, as you can see, we got the whiteboard, and usually when you see the whiteboard, you know that means I'll be talking, right? Because I, I, I love the whiteboard, I love drawing, even though maybe I don't draw so well. But um, we have our whiteboard, and, and I think particularly today it's very relevant because we're talking, we're continuing about uh, this series about Portrait of the Missional Family, and so in the weeks past, you know, we just had Thanksgiving. Maybe you took a family portrait, right? Um, we've talked about, um, you know, men. We've talked about woman. Got a little eyelashes there. <laughs> uh, we've talked about um, members. We've talked about elders and, 
and deacons and just, you know, all the different elements that make up this family portrait called, uh, in our case, the New Hope family. Family portrait. Okay? And obviously, if I had time, I'd draw every single one of you (laughs) in here. Now, as we've been talking about the different elements that make up the New Hope family, we've talked about leadership, right? And one of the things that goes hand in hand with leadership is followership, okay? And I don't know if that's quite a word, but it is now, I guess. And so today, the the theme is um, Christ-centered followership. which goes hand-in-hand with leadership. Now, um, I know that in our day and age, if someone calls you a follower, that's almost an insult, right? Uh, For whatever reason, there's a, is it like really loud? I don't know. I'm getting a lot of echo. Thanks, William. Um, there's a lot of kind of negative connotation to this idea of following. And everybody wants to be, they, nobody wants to be the follower, right? Everybody wants to be the leader. And um, maybe that's, that's just a general human condition, but I think um, in Silicon Valley, it's a little more heightened, our awareness of who's leading and who's following um, because of just all the you know, other things that come along with it, Right? But I want to flip that around today because um, we're not very interested here, right, in what the world has to say about certain things. My job is to bring you God's view on different issues. And in God's eyes, a follower is something far different from what the world says a follower is. So I want you to kind of understand and separate in your mind what the world says about followers and how they're not as important and understand today as we look into the word um, that actually in God's eyes, in God's kingdom, a follower is something very valuable and very essential and very important. Um, The Bible, as we look through it, you know, I don't know if you've read it or looked at different parts, or maybe you've heard of different stories. The Bible is full of great leaders. The Bible is full of great heroes, people that we all kind of like think, oh, they did these amazing things, you know. And um, if you're not familiar, there are some uh, names like Moses, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, David, uh, who, you know, slayed Goliath. There's Joseph, who... Uh, went from being a prisoner, a refugee, to basically the leader of one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world at the time. Um, And so uh, we see how uh, the Bible is full of all of these great leaders, great heroes. And as we think about this, what's the common thread among all of these great leaders? There's one common thread that runs through all of the biblical texts as we look at these great heroes. 
And uh, one of the things that I, as I was thinking about this message, you know, what does it mean to be a follower? You know, as we talk about, you know, leaders and then followers, what does it mean to be a follower? I thought uh, uh, a great thing to do would be, all right, let's look at the Bible. Let's see what it says. And um, the Bible says some very interesting things about the um, about leaders and followers. Um, one of the things that it doesn't actually say this, but you can kind of glean it and put it together from um, the general t- uh, witness of Scripture. Um, I'm going to kind of exaggerate it, but here we go. There are no great leaders in God's family. There are only great followers who followed God no matter what. There are no great leaders in God's family. There are only great followers who followed God at any cost. Now, of course, literally, that's not, it's not meant to be literal. Okay? There are great leaders. In fact, in Hebrews, the word leader appears, literally. Okay? So, obviously, I'm not saying that there are no great leaders, but what we see as a common thread between all the great leaders is, first and foremost, they followed God. They were followers. Moses, David, Joseph, these were some of the great leaders, um, but they were also followers, and not only were they just followers, they were great followers. Let me explain, let's just give you a brief description. Moses, God gave Moses this um, amazingly difficult task of taking away from a king his most valuable economic asset, which was his free, cheap labor, okay, his slave labor. And for this king at the time, um, that was a source of his wealth. I mean, any time he would say, make this happen, then the slave drivers would tell the slaves to make it happen, and it would happen. So uh, he was able to uh, actualize his, his political agenda, his, his own personal agenda, all through these thousands of people who were forced to do whatever he wanted them to do. Whatever he wanted them to do, he, they would have to do. So it's a tremendous economic asset for him, right? Not for the slaves, but for him. Moses was asked by God to take that economic asset away from this king. Imagine going up against a king to do that. But Moses ended up following and obeying God and doing this thing, even though he didn't really want to because he was afraid. David, as a young boy, he followed and obeyed God as well. You may know the story. He faced this giant, and this giant was, you know, he had a reputation. He wasn't a gentle giant by any means. He had a reputation for being a very brutal and vicious warrior giant. Not the kind of giant that you would want to meet in the back alley, right? And yet David went up against this giant because this giant was insulting David's God. David followed and obeyed God even though he had to face this this huge, vicious warrior, and, and for the most part, in all of his nation, all his other countrymen, there's nobody to be found who wanted to go, one, go up against Goliath one-on-one. 
But David did as a young boy. And he did this even though his family wasn't really behind him. His family was like, David, what are you doing? You're so, you're so young, you're so little. You have no chance against this giant. But David followed and obeyed God even though his family wasn't behind him. Even though his opponent was someone that nobody else wanted to face. Joseph. Joseph, if you're not familiar with his story, he uh, was sold off by his brothers into slavery because they were jealous of him, sibling rivalry. Man. Um, He then was in jail um, and was interpreting dreams and actually was able to interpret dreams by the power of God and people were saying, hey, interpret this dream for me and I'll help you get out of jail. And he would, do, he would hold up his end of the bargain. But guess what? They did not hold up their end. And so he stayed in jail. And eventually he did get out. And he rose up through the ranks and became uh, pretty much the, the most influential man in uh, one of the greatest kingdoms in the world at the time, Egypt. I mean, there was Pharaoh, but the Pharaoh... Guess who he was listening to? Guess who he would ask every time he had a a question or a decision? He would ask Joseph, and he would follow what Joseph did. So it was basically Joseph making all the decisions. He was the CEO, CFO, COO, whatever. He was the greatest leader in Egypt. But he was able to do this even though he had this sad family history. We just had Thanksgiving. Some of you spent it with your family. Some of you may not have spent it with your family. And maybe one of those reasons is because your relationship with your family is, is just not where you'd want it to be. And it's a source of great sadness in your life. And it should be. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own blood brothers. If anyone had a reason to go into counseling (laughs) because of family issues and dysfunctionality, it was certainly Joseph. And yet, even though, despite all that, he still followed God. The title for today's message, Following God, Following Jesus, Even Though. Dot, dot, dot. We're going to see in Moses and in David and in Joseph and in other people that great figures, people who are close and intimate with the Lord, it begins with following God even though dot, dot, dot. Following God even though dot, dot, dot. A really great place um, to look when you, if you ever have the question, you know, how do I follow God? What's a, can you show me how to follow God? Are there some good examples of how to follow God? One of the best places to go is Hebrews chapter 11. And so, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 today. Um, I know that our text uh, was just a section of chapter 12, but you'll see how it ties in. So, I want to actually today... Go literally go through Hebrews 11 because I want to help us see a portrait, okay, of what makes a good follower. What is a great follower? 
and um, according to God's standards, according to his definition. And so God gives us a really amazing treasure trove in chapter 11 of Hebrews. So I'm going to actually read it, and uh, you're invited to read along with me. And I'll pause and comment along the way as, um, as needed. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So you see there that all the people that are going to be mentioned, they received what? Con- commendation. <laughs> which is a really good word, uh, as opposed to condemnation, right? They're almost opposite words. Commendation, um, praise, accolades. And who are they receiving it from? They're receiving it from God himself. Now, how did this happen? Well, verse 3, by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What we see in the world was made by God from his word and not from things that are visible. So who are these people of old who are great examples of how to be a a great Christ-centered follower? Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. There's that word again. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. If we want to be commended, if you want to be commended by God, you got to have faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Enoch is an interesting figure. He actually never died. He's one of the few people in the Bible who went directly from like, you and me in this bodily form, and taken up into God's presence. He completely bypassed the, uh, that middle part called death. So how did that happen? You might want to know. By faith, it says. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was, there's a word again, commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He first exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. I want you to think about that. It's impossible to please God without faith. In other words, it's impossible to receive this commendation from God without faith. First of all, because if you don't have faith that he exists, why would you want commendation from a God that you don't believe exists, right? So whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Part of being a great follower of God is being a seeker of God. And one of the cool things about being a seeker of God is he rewards those who seek him. If you seek the Lord, 
he will be found by you. And you will be rewarded. Going on. Obviously, there's so much to, that I could say about these, but you know, we could do a whole sermon series just on this chapter. But uh, you know, I'm just trying to help you see just uh, the surface of what a, a great follower is. So, moving forward. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, the flood, in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He was warned of events yet unseen, and yet in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So, when he built his ark, it wasn't after five days of torrential rain. You know, we got El Nino coming up, right? And do we believe it's going to come? You know, in those places where it's going to get hit hard, people are already buying sandbags and boarding up their windows. Why? Because they believe El Nino is coming. Those who do not believe El Nino is coming are not doing anything in preparation. In kind of the same way, Noah, before it even, even there was, before there was even a cloud in the sky, he started building this crazy ark in the middle of his front yard. Okay? I mean, literally, it's like, what is this guy doing? Why is he building this huge ark, this huge boat, and there's not like a drop of rain. Because in faith he heard from God that he needs to build this thing, and then he followed. He was a follower of God, and he obeyed, and he built this thing, and then the rains came. By faith he knew this. That's what it takes to be a great follower of God. You just receive a word from the Lord, okay, not some weird word from some fortune teller or whatever, the word from the Lord, you receive it, and then you, you build your life accordingly to this. And maybe it's things yet unseen. Maybe the rain hasn't come yet. But believe that God, what He says, will come to pass. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so Noah was commended for his faith because he lived his life according to things yet unseen, yet things that he had heard, words of God. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Abraham was somebody that God said, Hey, Abraham, I want you to get up and leave your homeland Leave your family, leave your friends, and I want you to go to a completely different place, and I give this place to you as a a land of promise, a land of abundance, a land uh, later on that flows with milk and honey. So Abraham, again, never seeing this land, he doesn't have Google Map, right? He doesn't have GPS, he doesn't, he's not able to go, oh, land of milk and honey, Google, oh, satellite, um, right, satellite view, oh, that's, he didn't have any of that. All he had to go on was the promise of God. Again, the word of God. And you know what he did? By faith, he went to live in this land. But he lived in it as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Those are his descendants. Heirs with him of this same promise. The same promise from the same God. Verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city that, was, that has foundations, And listen to this, the city whose designer and builder is God. 
Abraham was willing to leave his homeland into this new promised land that this God promised him. And all along the while, all along the way, from this land to this land, he has to what? Live in these tents. Right? You've got to pitch these tents. You can't build a permanent home because that's not where you're going to settle. You're going to settle here. Imagine living in tents for like months at a time. Have you ever had to like remodel your house or whatever, you know, maybe tent your house because of termites? And then you have to live out of your suitcase in some hotel or live out of a suitcase out of somebody else's living room, right? College students, maybe you know this very well, right? Living on someone's sofa for, you know, a month because something got messed up with the... Manage apartment management or the dorm, you know, administration. It's not comfortable. And yet Abraham did this. And why was he willing to live in tents along the way? Because, verse 10, he was looking forward to something. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations and the city that was designed and built by God. Do we have any architect? like architect hopefuls in here or architecture majors. I mean, there are some famous architects and, and uh, you know, architecture firms in this area, right? Can you imagine what kind of city can be built and designed by God? I mean, I, I can't even imagine. And uh, some of you may know in Revelation, he actually gives us a picture of that city. This is what Abraham was looking forward to. And so, why was he willing to follow, going back to our theme? Because he had faith in God's promise of that city. Verse 11, By faith, Sarah, this is his wife, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Does anyone know how old she was? She was very old. (laughs) She was like 100 years old. But she conceived at the age of 100. We have some pregnant women and women who just had babies. Can you imagine? (laughs) First of all, if you got to age 100. And second of all, um, Hung, can you imagine if Sue told you, Honey, I have some news. And they're laughing. That's exactly what happened when God told Sarah, you're going to have a baby. She's like, me? Shall I in my old age have a baby, the pleasure of a baby? Guess what happened? She had a baby at that ripe old age. By ripe, I mean very ripe. How did that happen? Because God is faithful. Because he said it would happen. (laughs) And she considered him faithful. She considered God faithful who had promised. So she believed in God's promise. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him, Abraham and Sarah, right? Him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So from this old hundred-year-old woman, this old man who was, you know, older, we have all these descendants. You would never have wagered that that, something like that could have happened from these two old people. And all these people, verse 13, died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and 
greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What is this talking about? Well, verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Their home is not here. Their home is with God. All these people that we've seen listed in this, uh, what's called the Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. They were not seeking um, things here on the earth. They were seeking a different thing, a, a different homeland. And we'll see for, uh, as we look further. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, then they would have had opportunity to return. If that's what they were thinking about, they just would have gone back. But they had something else in mind. They didn't want this anymore. They wanted this. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And that's our text that we see today in verse, it's referring to the same thing, chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So this is what God is calling his followers to. Not this. For this is just tense. This is just temporary. This is a city designed by God himself. With all of his imagination, with all of his power to make his imagination reality. And that's what he has in store. And so we don't anymore seek a homeland here. We are seeking something better, a better country, verse 16, a heavenly one, a city prepared by God himself. So verse 17, by faith, by this faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. God promised him many descendants. God was willing, or God told, then God, God told Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now hold on. God, you promised that I'm going to have descendants as numerous as the sands and star, uh, stars in the sky. How is that going to happen if you take my only son? <laughs> and yet, Abraham still followed and obeyed, even though, dot, dot, dot. He still followed and obeyed, even though, dot, dot, dot. And why did he follow and obey? How was he able to do this? Verse 18. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He con- and this is how, verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Ah! I mean, it's kind of a logic game that Abraham's understanding here. God promised these descendants in this land of promise. The only son, the legal son that he gave me is Isaac. So it's got to happen through Isaac. But now he's asking me to sacrifice Isaac. So therefore, he's probably going to raise Isaac back from the dead. (laughs) Talk about faith. Talk about following God, even though. How many times 
in our lives as we follow Jesus, do we come up against a situation where you feel like God is just asking you something too difficult, too hard? Maybe it's to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply. That's just too hard. God, that's just too hard. Maybe it's to love your parents. Maybe it's to love your church family. Maybe it's to obey your church leaders. Maybe it's to be nice to that person at work (laughs) that just gets under your skin or that person at school or your roommate. Too hard. Maybe it's getting through a bout of cancer. It's too hard. Can you follow God even though? Dot, dot, dot. In and of yourself, you can't. In and of yourself, I can't. It's by faith, not by my power. By faith in the one who is always faithful. We can follow God even though, dot, dot, dot. And why should we want to follow God? Well, for many reasons, and one of the greatest of which, this heavenly city. This heavenly city that he's preparing for you. We live in Silicon Valley where to live in a one-bedroom apartment is going to cost you $1 million. (laughs) I don't know. Something ridiculous, right? How many times do you sit in your tiny cramped apartment? College kids, you hear me, right? You're like, oh, I just wish I had something better to live in. I mean, someplace that I could actually, like, I don't have to put my ramen next to my suits, right? And my shoes next to my snacks. It's like, I wish I could have a little more space. I wish I could have a better dwelling place. Well, how about a city designed by God? How about a room prepared by the Son of God for you? Does that give you a little bit of a glimpse of why it's so good and joyful to follow God even though dot, dot, dot? What are those circumstances in your life where you're just, they're trying to make you not follow God? What are those even those circumstances? I have some in my life. And my faith, I hope that we can all together understand those things. They may be painful for now, but they are nothing in comparison to the riches and abundance of God that he has in store for you through Christ. Therefore, we can follow God even though and we see as we go through this list, we, I haven't even talked about, um, uh, gotten to verse 23 with Moses. And then it goes on uh, with, with Joseph. And, and here in verse 32, it just keeps going. And then he finally says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me. I don't have enough time to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel. Look in verse 32, the prophets... All these people, just to name a few, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, 
obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. These people escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. And who did this? The leaders? No. The followers. The followers of God. It was the followers of God who followed God at no, no matter what, at any cost. They were the ones who were able to do this. It wasn't the intelligent. It wasn't the elite. It wasn't the rich. It wasn't the politically powerful. It wasn't the socially high. It was the weak. It was the followers, not the leaders. I want to be a follower. I don't want to be a leader. I want to be a follower like these guys. I want to be a follower like Jesus. Not because I'm so great. Because God is so great. And he wants to give me and share with me his greatness. It's a free gift. It's free. It's a gift. I will follow you, God, no matter what, even though We know that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A city with its foundation set in the very heavens, designed and built by God Himself. This is what He wants to give you. This is what He not only wants to give, He, wants, he promised to give to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's free. You don't have to do anything. Just follow by faith. You know, everybody wants to be the leader. Nobody wants to be the follower. But you know what? I think there's joy in being a follower. There's joy in being a follower. Especially when your leader happens to be able to create universes just like that. Especially when your leader happens to be able to split seas, raise mountains, bring back people from the dead. I'll follow a leader like that. Shoot. He's worth following. You don't have to be a leader to be great. If you're a follower of God, no matter what, That's how we can be great and be headed for greatness here. As a church, I want us to be a church. Pastor Susang and I, we dream of a church full of, (laughs) if we could have followers like Moses and David and Joseph, come on, are you kidding me? And you're thinking there, man, I don't know. That sounds kind of too high. Well, how did they do it? Because they were so great? Because David was so good with the slingshot? Because Moses was good with water? (laughs) No. They did it by faith. Do you have faith? You bet you do. That's all it takes. If you have faith the size of what? A mustard seed. That's all you need. And you can be a great follower like these guys.
headed for greatness. God type of greatness. As we head towards this kingdom, as we know that this is as good as ours, here's the last point I want to bring to you. We can bring this kingdom, this heavenly kingdom, we can bring it down to earth. God has brought it down to earth. This beautiful city, this beautiful kingdom that God has in store, he wants to make it happen right now through you. How? By us just being a church who follows Christ. Feeding the poor. Sharing the good news. Loving one another. It's so simple. Follow the leader. Right? Jesus is our leader. What did he do? He fed the poor. He blessed them. He hung out with people no matter what their social standing to Share the good news with them. He sacrificed of himself and his comfort and his sleep to serve you, to serve me. Follow the leader. And so, it says here in chapter 12, our verse for today, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving this kingdom. That cannot be shaken. A lot of us here might be building kingdoms up in our lives that can be shaken. Stock market might take a bad turn. Your kingdom might be shaken. The corporate world might, you know, the the stock market, if that crashes, your job may be shaken. And therefore, your world will be shaken. Therefore, in Christ, we should be grateful because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And therefore, let us now offer to God acceptable worship. In light of the fact that this is where we're headed, in light of the fact that this is what we're going to receive, why not enjoy it now? So how do we do that? He says, well, in my city, verse 13, look, it says, verse 28 of chapter 12, let us then offer to God acceptable worship. How do we do this? Verse uh, continues in chapter 13. This is how do you do it. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For uh, thereby some have actually entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison. Prison ministries. As though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor. Marriage should be honored. It should not be looked down on. It should not be messed with. It should not be devalued. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let, marriage, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. In God's city, we don't have corrupt, greedy leaders. That's why we're not going to have people who are in love with money. There is no love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you imagine... Just pause for a second. A city where every single citizen is completely content with what they have. Can you imagine that? What would our world look like? Right? There'd be no road rage. I'm driving a 
nice casual 35 miles per hour in Lawrence. <laughs> and if you want to cut in front of me and be first at the stoplight so that you can get first to the next stoplight, be my guest. I'm content, right? Can you imagine a city where every citizen is content with what they have? I will never leave you nor forsake you, God says. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Ah, helper. Last week, Etzer. It's glorious to be a woman, to be an Etzer. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7. What's another way that we can bring heaven onto earth, down to earth? Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their, li- their faith. I'm kind of laughing because I don't know that you would want, I would want you to imitate me. I would want you to imitate God. But there it is. Remember your leaders. Therefore, you need to choose your leaders carefully. Right? And we're talk- we've been talking about that last few weeks. But your leaders are trustworthy because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8. Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. You know, you go to school and you hear all these things. God does not exist. God hates us. If God loves us, how could these bad things happen? Do not be led away by these diverse and strange teachings. Just because someone says these things doesn't mean they're true. Just because someone says God is evil doesn't mean it's true. That's just their opinion. You you can judge for yourself as you read the Bible and read it honestly. And see, Christ, Son of God Himself, on the cross for you. Does that sound like a God who doesn't love you? He sacrificed His own Son for you. That sounds like a God who loves me. So don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. All right, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus who suffered outside the camp. Therefore, wherever Jesus is, we go. Again, follow the leader. It says right there, wherever Jesus, he suffered outside the gate, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Wherever Jesus goes, I go. Followership. If this is where we're headed, we have the ability to bring this here. Not in and of ourselves, but because we have faith in God. Because of God and his promise. Verse 15 Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Our worship times, that's what that's about. Our testimonies, that's what that's about. That we've been asking you to submit. Through your lips, offer up stories of how great God is in your life. And then share that so that other people can be encouraged by by God through you. Verse 16 Do not neglect to do good. Share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, this is how things are going to be in God's city. Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Those who are watching over your souls are your elders. Okay, Every church has elders by God's command, 
And part of their job description is to watch over your souls. It says it right there. And guess what? They can't just go willy-nilly and not care. They have to give an account. Susan has to give an account. I have to give an account. Those who want to be leaders, watching over the souls, we have to give an account to God. So, let your leaders do this with joy and not with groaning. Uh, (laughs) Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For what advantage would that be to you? Those of you who have uh, families, maybe you have a problem child. (laughs) You love them, right? But sometimes you just need a break, right? The constant crying or the constant complaining. You love them. But sometimes you approach parenting them with a spirit of like, oh my gosh, again, and not necessarily with joy. Here in verse 17, it's talking about the church family. Now, this is kind of a loaded, you know, potential landmine that I'm stepping on because I'm not, I'm not trying to say that any of you here, here are, are problem childs, okay? But simply, God is saying, be a Christ-centered follower. And as you are a Christ-centered follower, it will make the whole process of our church growing, not in number, but in faith. It'll facilitate that process. And it'll help your leaders so that we don't have to expend energy on things that are maybe could be avoided. Now, that being said, of course, if there are going to be times where someone needs a little more care and attention, that's our job, shepherds. But if there's 100 people in a church and all 100 people are like, trying, you know, like sheep who are just going off in different directions, just think about it. If you were the shepherd, you're not able to really do what you want to do with this group, with those sheep, right? Because you're too busy what? Chasing them down. And so all your time is spent doing that. Whereas if you have a flock that is committed to this and following already, now the shepherds can do other things and concentrate on other things rather than trying to herd cats. We're moving forward in the direction that God has for us, which is what? Jesus-centered families crossing generations and cultures. It's on your bulletin. That's our goal. Again, if, if people are straying, we're still going to go after them because that's part of our job. That's part of our calling, and we will. But put yourself in, in the shoes of a shepherd and understand, hey, the less time we spend on that, the more time we can spend moving, right? Finally, verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. So this is what it means to be a Christ-centered follower. Look at chapter 11. And I'm going to end with this. The greatest follower of God is Jesus himself. So if you ever think If you're ever tempted to think that being a follower is something low and bad and something to be avoided at all costs. No, I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a follower. Understand that Jesus wears the title of greatest follower of God of all time. 
And if Jesus believes that this is good and this is a joyful thing, to participate in God's glory that way, then far be it from us, right? To think that being a follower is something low. Actually, it's something glorious and high and divine because the Son of God is a follower. There are no great leaders in God's family, only great followers of God who follow him at, at, no matter what, at any cost. Let's spend some time praying. Father, um, today we looked at what it means to be a follower. The world tells us that being a follower is low and undesirable. You tell us otherwise. You tell us that being a follower of God is something glorious and great. And it's something that even your own son, even your own son did. But following you, God, is not always easy. There are a lot of times where we follow God and we don't want to. There are a lot of times where we just don't end up following God. And yet you still chase us. You still love us. You still offer your gift of salvation to us. And even your own son, he had a choice to follow you or not. He had a choice. He had a decision to make. If I follow God, I will suffer greatly and I will die. (coughs) And Jesus came and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. The disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he himself knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. For he was in agony. He prayed earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, if anyone understands not wanting to follow God, it's you. If anyone understands the great cost that can be incurred following God, it's you. You even prayed, if you're willing, to remove this cup. But you said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then something amazing happened. God, you sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Lord, as we follow you, Jesus, may we understand that you will send an angel from heaven to strengthen us. (laughs) You actually did better. You sent your very son
And even though he didn't want to necessarily go up on that cross hanging by his hands and feet, he still did. He willingly laid his life down to wash away with his blood, wash away our sins. And why did he do that? He did it for you, Father. He did it because he has faith that you would resurrect him. He did it for the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, this message. And he did it for me. And he did it for each person sitting in this room. So I pray, O Lord, that we would really understand and catch a glimpse of the beauty of the greatest follower of God of all time, Jesus Christ, who followed even though it cost him greatly in order to save us out of his great love and mercy for us. And may we now, like the disciples, follow you. We pray this blessing of Christ-centered followership upon our church. In Jesus' name, amen.